Traditions Passed Down My mother was my mentor. She taught and guided me through the walk of the spirit world. At the age of 30 years, I received my first peace pipe. When I was 31, my mother, who had taught me all that was passed down to her, finally released to me what she kept in her heart all those years, a sweat lodge. My mother told me how she received the sweat lodge that she passed down to me. When she was just a young girl, old enough to carry firewood and such, she helped her uncle put up his sweat lodge. Year after year, she did this because she enjoyed helping her uncle. Finally, her uncle noticed her labor and wondered why she was doing this. One day, he finally asked her, Why are you doing this? What is it you want in return? Mother was dumbfounded. She didn't know how to answer because she wasn't after anything. She was doing it for the enjoyment of helping. Her uncle finally said, People don't just do things that are sacred for the fun of it. When you labor, you are honoring the spirit world, and they in return recognize all that has been done to them. In return, I'm passing this sweat lodge down to you because you have observed well and you now know things, how they're done, and what it is all about. You have heard me and watched me perform these ceremonies and rituals for all these years. Carry all you have learned with you. One day, you will pass it down to someone in your family. Mother never used what she received. She just carried all this knowledge with her until the time came when she passed it down to me. As part of this inheritance, my mother always told me, to use discretion when performing ceremonies or rituals. She instructed me not to publicly announce or boast about what I had spiritually, or I would be challenged by others. After I received the sweat lodge, where healing and communicating with the spirit world are done, I went out on many occasions to seek my spirit guides by fasting in the mountains. I also fasted many times at home. Manifestations of spirits in many forms used to enter our lodges, and I experienced what was in the outer limits. But I found out seven years later, right in the middle of huge spiritual activity going on in our lives, that the powers that led me all these years were not the ultimate power. In the winter of 1979, I became very ill, and my health grew progressively worse. I was not alarmed at all, for I felt very confident that I would be healed in one of the many healing lodges. At first, I didn't even bother seeking healing. To me, it was like having money in the bank. You can withdraw it any time you want. I soon found my illness was causing all kinds of problems. My weight loss was so rapid, and I also had vision problems. One day, I would have tunnel vision. The next... I would have sparks falling across my field of vision, and sometimes I'd see with only one eye. I was getting weak. It was only then that I started seeking for healing from other medicine men and women. For two and a half years, I traveled across Alberta and beyond, but all to no avail. Eventually, I had to stop because I had nothing left to offer to the medicine men and women in exchange for my healing. My mother was Cree, and my father was Nakota Sioux. My mother spoke both languages fluently, so when I traveled, seeking my healing, 
I brought her along as an interpreter. Most of the medicine men I went to were old and did not speak English, or at least preferred not to speak it unless it was an emergency. They spoke Cree, so I spoke in Nakota, and she would interpret it into Cree. <clears throat> Many times on our way back from doctoring, I would notice tears in her eyes. Sometimes she would openly cry, but she wouldn't disclose why. In later years, after my healing, she told me that the medicine men were telling her that I had no hope of living and I was going to die. I was at the end of my rope with nothing to turn to. Though I went to all the medicine men I knew, my hope and great expectations for a healing disappeared. I had no assets left to give as an offering to them and the spirit world. They did not even follow up to see how I was doing. I'm sure they thought I was dead. During my younger years, beginning around 23 years of age, I started putting on weight. Soon I became overweight. At the time I first became ill, I weighed around 240 to 250 pounds. By the summer of 1982, I was only hiding bones. The last time I had weighed myself, I had little strength, yet I weighed 159 pounds. That was months before I grew very ill. So if I were to guess my weight in 1982, I would say I was about 140 to 145 pounds. By this time, I did not have the strength to walk. Many times I would arrive back home and fall from my wife's vehicle in total frustration and rage. I would crawl on my hands and knees into the house. I didn't want anyone to touch me or help me, even when there were many around to help. You can imagine the choice words of the world that I used during my crawl back to the house. I was still in the world and bound by it. During this time of suffering, my wife Marie was strong and healthy, and she stood beside me and supported me all the way. The car we traveled with was hers. She bought it with the money she'd made while working as a director in an alcoholism program on the reserve. This car was new when I started getting ill, and we ran it into the ground by the time I had given up. I didn't realize what I was doing to my wife. I just didn't realize the stress I was putting her through because the focus was on my health and myself. I didn't see that she was falling apart as well. Her job was a strain enough on her. We traveled far distances during the weekends. By the time we got back, late Sunday night or early Monday morning, she could only get a couple of hours rest and then she had to be back to work. Two and a half years of this just took the life out of her. I remembered she'd been totally exhausted by the time we got back from traveling. She would kick off her footwear and flop into the bed. I'm sure she fell asleep before her head even hit the pillow. By the summer of 1982... Marie had lost all hope in the Indian religion. She was tormented by seeing my life slowly fading. There was nothing we or anyone else could do about my condition. Marie had nothing left to really live for, and she was near a nervous breakdown. My daughter Lisa and my wife's sister Sophie were with Marie. During this time, my wife was aimlessly driving around this town, in and out of streets and back alleys, round and round without saying a word. Completely stressed out, her nerves were ready to snap at any minute. She was about to lose it when she stopped the car and got out. My daughter told me that her mom just got out of the car and walked across the street and went inside a building. 
she said. My Auntie Sophie and I just sat there dumbfounded. We looked at each other as if to say, What's happening? What's she doing? Lisa said. We sat there for quite a while before we decided to go in and check her out. My wife Marie told me while in this cloudy memory loss, mind-wandering, mind-racing condition, she ran across a little Bible bookstore. She didn't know what a Bible bookstore was at the time. It was just a store that wasn't there the last time she was in town. She didn't even know what she was doing in that part of town. The only other thing there besides the Bible bookstore was a lumber yard, and lumber was the last thing on her mind. Today we know only the Spirit of God could have led her there. Marie said she walked in, not knowing what to expect, and walked around, browsing, lifting books here and there, not really knowing or caring of the contents of these books. Her mind was blank. Inside the store, there were two ladies working. They were born-again Christians, baptized in the Holy Ghost and full of fire. They were watching Marie, rubbing their hands together and getting ready to corner her. Marie was ripe for the taking, but she didn't know that. Only God knew, and he had led her there. One of the ladies stepped forward and, not bothering to ask if she needed help finding anything, boldly asked Marie, Do you know Jesus? Marie said, No. The lady replied, Would you like to know him? Yes, she said with no hesitation. Right then and there, they led Marie to the Lord with the sinner's prayer, and she said that this weight that was about to bring her down lifted. All the torment, oppression, and migraines caused by extreme stress and all the burdens disappeared. Her mind became so clear and bright. My daughter said, when we walked in, there was Mum crying and laughing at the same time. Again, my Auntie Sophie and I looked at each other. We couldn't figure out what was happening. We were in a state of loss. Finally, my Auntie rushed to Mum's side and grabbed her around the shoulders, almost like in fear, started asking her sister Marie, What happened? What's wrong? Not realizing that Marie had just got set free, Marie told me that she don't even remember coming out of that Bible bookstore. She felt so light. It was just like I floated out, she said. From that day on, Marie battled for me with prayer and fasting that I didn't know about. Though many times I felt the power of God's presence around me while I was home alone, I was left alone because she had our children involved in going to church and Bible studies too. Many times they had a full night of prayer and fasting for me at an old country church. I poked fun at her, mocked, scoffed, ridiculed, ridiculed her because of her newfound faith in the white man's religion. Many times I was sure she had lost it. I saw her watching Christian programs on TV. One show in particular was 100 Huntley Street. This man, David Mance, used to cry. I didn't know David Mance had so much love and compassion for the lost that he was crying for them to the Lord Jesus. Sometimes I would see Marie raising a hand saying, Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Those are the times I really thought that she had completely lost it. I was so blind, I didn't know any better, because I would howl with laughter, and at times, Marie would cry along. I would say, That man don't have nothing. Why else would he cry daily? I wish he had the power I had, and he'd know what power means. Even though I was ready to die... Unable to even stand without supporting myself by hanging onto the wall, I was blind. I could not see what the devil was doing to me. 
causing me to think that I had this gifted power. If I had all this power that I thought I had, why didn't I heal myself? And how was I to know that Marie's behavior was caused by the Most High God? I couldn't have known I was in total darkness. Another thing was she had completely forgotten about me. It seemed she couldn't care less if I died. That everyday concern for me and pampering me was gone. I was sure the white man's religion brainwashed her to forget about me. Little did I know that she left it all to Jesus and it was up to Jesus to look after me, which he did on September 11th, 1982. Marie asked me to join her when she went to church the following day. It seems she caught me unawares. Without realizing it, I said yes, but not knowing why I said it because I was against it right from the start. I was against it because of my conditioning from teaching from the elders, medicine men and women. I despised the white man for what they did to our ancestors, how they trod them down without conscience or guilt, and I blamed every white man for this act of supremacy. This teaching caused me to have a lot of hate, anger, murder, and vengeance in my heart. In those days, I was always carried a loaded gun with me, and I was not at the least afraid to use it on white folks, and many times I almost did. In one case, I had a confrontation with two middle-aged white men that almost ended in a real bad tragedy. I know that if it wasn't for God Almighty being in control, it could have ended in death. It happened this way. I was driving around the city when all of a sudden I noticed that my lane ended and narrowed to form two lanes. I was going to change lanes and I looked to see if any traffic was close. There was a car but it was about five lengths back so I decided to switch lanes. Then the car that was supposed to be five lengths behind me decided to step on the gas and cut me off. I decided to run into them and shoot them because like I said I always had that special gun that I carried in my car in case of an incident exactly like this one. Somehow they managed to slam on their brakes in time and I completely missed their vehicle but the chase was on. Each time I looked in the rearview mirror I would notice that they each had clubs something like an axe handle or small baseball bats and they were waving them around and showing them to me by holding them against the front windshield. I took out my short barrel 22 caliber Ruger rifle with its 15 shot revolving clip it was loaded with Remington 22 caliber long rifle shells with mushroom tips. They called them yellow jackets. I bought this weapon just for this kind of purpose, to shoot white men. I was going to show these white boys how it felt to be shot at random for spite and fun, just like they did to my ancestors. When they were helpless without anything to defend themselves with and face being shot dead for no reason, I wanted to look into their faces, their countenances, as they looked death in the eyes. I wanted to see their reaction just before they died. I wanted them to beg for mercy. I had no conscience for them. I had been waiting for this moment for quite a while. It was now going to happen. Each time I stopped at a red traffic light, they would jump out of their vehicle and come running towards my car, but I was waiting for them to get real close before I stepped out. I thought if I stepped out too soon, they could just jump back in their car and get away. That's why I wanted them to get close, where I'd have time to get both of them. But the green light was on their side. Just when I decided to make a move, the red traffic light changed to green, and I had to drive ahead. This happened five times, and then they must have caught on to what I had with me. 
I looked in the rearview mirror and saw their car backing up traffic for some distance. All of a sudden, they didn't want to be near me, and they got away. Today, I'm sure that the Lord Almighty was changing the lights for me and for them, praise God. You can draw your own conclusions about what would have happened if I had shot them both dead. There would have been police and an ambulance, and I would have been sprawled against the hood of my car, being handcuffed and roughed up in the process. So with that in my heart, I was skeptical and suspicious of these people that my wife was seeing, but I thought I'd go and observe anyway, and judge for myself. The next day, I got up quite early to get ready. Although it took me a while, I managed to get into my Sunday best, and then I waited. Marie was still asleep. I was a nominal Roman Catholic, and I recalled as a child going to Catholic Church, where all the services started at 10 a.m. That stuck in my mind all those years, and it was past 10 a.m., so I got mad and took off my Sunday best and got into the rags I was wearing before. Now there was no way I was going anywhere. Marie didn't tell me that her church services started at 2 p.m., and so I thought she wasn't going to church either. Eventually, Marie and the children got ready for church around 1 p.m. All the while, I pouted and fumed. I was waiting for Marie to ask me to go so I could throw a tantrum and shout, No! at the top of my lungs. Somehow she caught me off guard again with a sweet and gentle voice and asked me, Are you ready to go then, hun? My anger broke and I said, Yes. Right when it was time to leave for services, I couldn't understand why I kept saying yes. In my mind, I was supposed to say no. I didn't have time to change clothes to my Sunday best, so I went as I was. When we got to the church, my two eldest boys helped me in and grabbed the bench along the wall. Just before the service started, the pastor pointed us out and asked us to come up to the front. That triggered my rage. If I had the strength, with militancy and killing in my heart, being demon-possessed, I would have made a complete fool of myself by kicking the pastor around and throwing him out. I was completely naive about the true intentions of the white man because I already labeled all white people by what I was taught from my earliest childhood. They hated all Indians. I was taught never to trust the white man, to beware of them because they could kill Indians and get away with it. That was why I had to carry a gun. I believe that the white man considered the Indians less than animals. With that embedded in my heart, I saw this pastor trying to humiliate us because we were the only Indians in the congregation. I was full of negativity and paranoia, but it really was the Spirit of God that brought me there. He knew my heart and knew how I was, so he brought me to a point where I was defenseless. I couldn't even walk before he brought me inside his house. The Lord used my meanness to his advantage. He had me pegged all the way, because in my anger, I had decided to get as close as possible to the pastor, so I got my boys to take me right up to the front. Little did I know, by doing this, I was getting closer to the king. No sooner had I sat down than the pastor asked everyone to stand. I said under my breath, When is this dummy going to realize I can't stand on my own? If I could have reached him, I would have kicked his butt. I was really getting irritated by his actions of his bossy character. He wanted everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes. He said there were five people there that didn't know Jesus, and he wanted them to come forward and receive him. So we closed our eyes and bowed our heads and waited and waited. At one point, I took a peek to see with one eye, and I saw that there were four people standing up front. 
the same time, I was sure the pastor said there should be five. Someone was holding back. I wished he or she would hurry up. I could barely stand any longer. Then I felt someone pushing me forward from behind. I looked, but there was no one there. And everyone had their heads bowed. My left arm was wrapped around my wife's shoulder, and my right arm was around my eldest son's arm. At one point, that pushing was so hard, it made my right leg step forward. I didn't understand what was going on then, but still I held my ground. Anyway, when it looked like we were going to stand there all day with our heads bowed, I gave in. I whispered in Marie's ear to bring me forward. She gladly did. I couldn't even begin to describe how Marie must have felt when I decided to take that step to receive the Lord Jesus. All the nights she prayed and fasted and interceded for me were finally bearing fruit. She must have been overwhelmed with joy. I believe she was praying in her heart under her breath while we were standing there, hoping that God would move me forward. At the same time, the angels must have been rejoicing. Slowly I went forward onto my wife for support so I wouldn't fall flat on my face. Halfway there, I ran into a wall of power, so gentle, soft, full of compassion and love, and very awesome. Stupendous. He could crush an entire world in a moment. Never in my long walk in the Indian culture did I ever encounter such matchless power. I felt small and weak, defenseless, and most of all convicted by that spirit of murder, that gun-toting macho image didn't mean a thing to him. He received me with loving arms, like a long-lost brother, and I broke down. A river of tears started flowing. When the pastor led us in the sinner's prayer, I just couldn't believe that it was me bawling out loud in front of all those people. I completely yielded to Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Medicine Man of Medicine Men. I had also so much foolish pride. I swore that I would never cry in front of other people, even when I lost my loved ones. My brothers were much older and looked after me lovingly, but when they died, I held back my tears. Because of my extreme hate and resentment towards the white man, I would never even imagine myself, sincerely with honesty and care, to truly shake hands with a white man, let alone call one brother. Only maybe in my wildest dreams I might... Even at that, I would consider it a nightmare. But Jesus Christ took all of that away. He replaced it with genuine love towards my white brothers and my white sisters, and it's much easier to forgive now. I don't ever try to hold a grudge anymore like I used to, and it is much easier for me to say, forgive me, even to say, please. Before I got saved, I might say please to a white man at gunpoint, maybe not. I was taught never to say please to a white man. It was considered begging. But today I put my arms around them with genuine love from Jesus. I kid around with them, I laugh with them, I sing with them, pray with them, and for them, and on and on, all, the one, all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Now, all of that pride flowed away on that wonderful day. To make matters greater, I walked out of the church on my own physical strength. No one had to help me. Though I wasn't running, I shuffled out without falling. You see... At the very end of my illness, I was pushing chairs around in the house to support myself. I was so weak. My legs would buckle under me, and I'd fall if I'd let go. Praise the Lord Jesus. Two weeks later, I was strong as an ox because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The Word of God, the Bible, declares that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. With me being saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, the battle started and God had to use many different ways and people to get me through the battle. Having just met Jesus Christ, I didn't know his ways or anything about the Bible. Now I have seen what those spirits can do. For years they had me under their power. I had little experience with the new power I had received. Now shall I curse whom God hath not cursed, or how can I defy whom the Lord has not defied? Numbers 28 verse 8. He restoreth my soul and lead me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 23 verse 3.